This is CliffCentral.com. Is this thing on? You're listening to The Bounce Show. It's live. Well, not this bit, but it's live on CliveCentral.com. Um, it's Cliff Central, Platt. <clears throat> Sorry, scrap that, delete it. CliffCentral.com. All right, all right. November is coming to a fiery end. So much good sport to look into. Sorry I wasn't in studio by myself, yes, or sorry, last week. I was at the Gary Player Invitational, as you knew. And I've got so much content from that to release, I think, over the next two weeks. I think if I had to do just a week only on Gary Player Invitational, it would just be Gary. I mean, Gary was just, it was on form as usual. Very good show for you this week, as always. We've got Richard Asher. Now, this is a guy I interviewed, sure, probably two, three years ago around a golfing project. He is coming back with an equally bold project around rugby. He wants to write a book about cloning the All Blacks because he has just become sick and tired of watching the All Blacks dominate over and over and over, like we all are. So he wants to go about writing a book about how we can dominate just like they can or how we can just emulate their system to get to a point of dominance. I'll try and make a lot uh, better sense when I actually interview him. And then uh, we've got Michael Varney. He is actually here in studio today. So he is from Varsity Sports, a big weekend for Varsity Sports because it is the Varsity Sevens, it's the Varsity Beach Volleyball, all things happening in Durban. So along with that, I'll also bring you a preview of the week we have ahead, in, sorry, the weekend we have in ahead of sports. There's the box last match of the season. And as many people are speculating, is Alice Gutierrez's last match as a box coach? So, I don't know. I don't think we should get our hopes up or down around that. Whatever your feelings towards Alice Garcia, I think there's a bigger problem than just a coach. So, it might be a small win around the festive season, and then Twitter will go crazy for a few minutes. But, uh, I don't know. All we're going to look forward to is him announcing a team with many changes, hopefully. Because it would be nice to see that this end-of-year tour can be salvaged to a degree that at least new talents will be blooded. But that's a different conversation for a different time. I think we should get straight into our guest who is in the studio right now. It's Michael Varney from Varsity Sports. All right, Michael. How are you doing? Good and you, Ben. Nice to be here. Yeah, fantastic, man. Good to have you in the studio. So this year... Well, in my personal opinion, and maybe the opinion of many South Africans, it hasn't been the most fun sports-wise. We've... Uh, We've toiled a bit. When you look at Super Rugby, the Lions were our only only thing, and they got to the final, and then we lost. Uh, the Proteas have been, well, Champions Trophy exits, uh, the horrible tour of England, and Rugby, well, in the box friends, that kind of speaks for itself. But you represent Varsity Sports. If I were to think of a sporting platform as more fun than this, well, I would love to see it, because every time you guys do something, I don't know if it's your advertising, your general marketing, but it looks like fun, like how sports should be, because sport is entertainment. That's what I always say. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, we work along the mantra of sportainment, as cheesy as it sounds. Yeah, it's so important. It. Yeah, it's so important for not just what's happening on the field, but for the fans to have a full on experience at every one of our events. So we started about 10 years ago with um, the FNB Varsity Cup. Right. And since then, there was such great uptake of that in terms of the support that we received that we've diversified into a number of sporting codes. So we've got nine sporting codes now. Everything from hockey, cricket, varsity, sevens, varsity beach volleyball, 
Um, and the list goes on and on. And I next year, you even do mountain biking now. Yes, that's another one of our codes that we introduced. That's, um, that's where year. you know. That's where you know you're actually getting quite a, a great scope of interest here. Yeah. So uh, this weekend we're going to talk about well, mostly Durban because if you are young, matric rage is the big deal in Durban right now. A lot of people there, but if you're a little bit older, there's a, equally, in my opinion, great fantastic party happening around the Varsity Sevens. Now you've had this event in Cape Town for the last few years. What facilitated this change to take the event to Durban itself? So I mean, we had a, it was a successful event and it grew year on year in Cape Town. But, you know, as we look to attract a younger audience and our next generation of students, we partnered with the guys from GNG Productions and oh, the Trick okay. Rage. That makes sense. As well as the Sharks. Um, and so we've put together a whole festival weekend kicking off tomorrow at um, Kings Park. Taking place, um, we're going to start with Sevens and Beach Volleyball tomorrow. And the Beach Volleyball ends on Saturday afternoon. And Sevens will run for all three days. And the guys from Rage were very excited about this now. So we built the festival right next door to the sound factory that the Rage guys have put on. And it's now basically what we're trying to offer Durbanites is an option to really have a full-on weekend celebration. Absolute genius. Absolute genius. Because that's what it should be. Now, when it comes to getting the varsities to really be uh, well, up to participation around this, have you had any sort of issues where some varsities aren't the take-up hasn't been so great according to other ones, or has it been across the board, everybody just wants to be part of this? So it's an interesting model that we've developed um, in partnership with an institution called the University Sports Company, which all of our member universities are a part of. Um, and then in order for the universities to participate in our competitions, they have to play in the USA Games, and then we take the top eight teams from each of those oh, sport wow. codes. Yeah. In order to have some quality, some quality players. So you will find the taxes of the world, Martys, those guys tend to dominate. Um, but it's encouraging to see how the universities, I mean, we've got the University of Limpopo, University of the Western Cape, et cetera, who will be participating in the beach volleyball this, um, this weekend. And what's important for us is that obviously all of our product is broadcast on Supersport. And so the guys at Supersport want to see decent quality, um, athletes playing. And so from that perspective, we've got, we've had to control that. And so it's been super to see like guys from the University of Limpopo or the girls, in fact, coming through and being able to participate at this level. It's a fantastically important level in my mind because what you normally find is, and I've, I've known this from various interviews that I had around development sport is that you get talented sports stars in school level. And then as soon as you hit the adult ranks, you lose so much talent all around there. Do you see this growing into a position where, I mean, obviously this weekend in particular, it's mostly about fun. Do you see the platform growing a whole lot more to incorporate more athletes, more teams, more tournaments, that kind of stuff, to make it more of a, a, a real breeding ground for professional ranks? Absolutely. And, you know, the Varsity Cup is our sort of flagship product in that we've learned a huge amount from it and we're applying those learnings to the rest of the sports codes. Where Varsity Cup, we now, we've produced, I think it's 24, 25 Springboks that have come through the ranks. Wow, that's a stat, huh? Um, <laughs> well, when they're playing well, we like to boast about it. But, <laughs> you know, the thing is, is that it's given us the opportunity to really identify guys that wouldn't necessarily have made it into the provincial teams. Well, Ibn Etzebeth, maybe, is an example there. Absolutely. Um, and so those guys have been now highlighted. And one of the Varsity Sports pillars is to create heroes. And so whether it's the heroes on the pitch, you know, giving guys an opportunity to identify themselves as the next possible national team player or even a provincial player, all the way down to the guys that are the MCs around the fields, the cheerleaders, the guys that are the sports writers, etc. Um, and that's the whole part of the development of this of this product. 
Yeah, it's so true because another thing I always keep saying on the show is that sport isn't just about the guys in the field for the certain time frame. You know, there's different opportunity for people within sport as well, which you guys obviously underpin here. With regards to innovations going forward, you guys aren't scared of this. I mean, this is probably part of your brand itself. What are some of the great things you're looking to implement in order to create more growth and sort of more events and more exposure for these things? So I think that, you know, we've needed to diversify the product as well because the university campus is made up of all different segments of the society. Um, and so last year we introduced Varsity Sing, which was a choir competition. Oh, wow. um, and it was amazing. You know, in the first two episodes of Varsity Sing, we nearly exceeded the entire number of broadcast decoders tuning in for it than we did for the duration of the Varsity Cup season. Wow. So there's a huge appetite for sort of cultural elements as well. Um, we're toying with the idea, we're working with some guys, um, around varsity esports because that's just become huge. And also when you're in dorms, this is what's going to happen. People it, will play. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, the thing is, is that our audience is also, they're quite fickle. So you need to keep up to date with, um, who, who the fans are and what they're interested in. And so we've got some interesting innovations that we'll be announcing shortly for next year. Now, when when you think university sports around the world, my mind straight away goes to those ginormous stadiums like varsity um, football in America. Yeah, I, I can't quite get my head around it still. You can get 100,000 people coming to watch essentially just amateurs playing a sport. It's incredible. Do you guys look to that sort of model and how they've done their sports over the, over the decades, really, as something that you can guide yourself upon? Or do you look at being a lot more so unique and a lot more obviously working within your own environment? Absolutely. I mean, our model, we spent a lot of time in the States learning how they've commercialized university sport. And we've obviously had to apply the South African flavor to it because a cut and paste wouldn't necessarily work. But we're fortunate in that what we are doing is working. I think, I mean, year on year, we've looked at a 100% increase in our attendance. Um, and from a broadcast perspective, if you don't have full stadiums, you don't have the numbers from a TV, um, for the for TV numbers. Yeah. So from that perspective, we've done really nicely. The product is growing consistently. Um, and it's now about not just the university students buying into the product, but the communities around the university. And I mean, if you look at our, if you look at the numbers for varsity football, we fill out the stadiums and our friends at the PSL are struggling to be able to do that yeah, themselves. I mean, those words fill out the stadiums. I haven't heard that a lot recently within administrators of people organizing sport. Yeah. I mean, that is something that's a real asset to have. And there, look, there are a lot of learnings that we've had to take, you know, from a value proposition perspective, we've had to make sure that the guys that are coming to the games really feel that they're getting fantastic bang for their buck. And that's where our sponsors come in. You know, guys like FNB, the famous brands of the world, Samsung, they've really had to get behind us and not just write a check. They've had to activate around their sponsorships to really actually get integration in terms of the product and the students wanting to be there. We get onto the campuses and the build-up to it. We get into the residences and the build-up. And so it's all of those elements that we've diversified, diversified our um, communication approach. Um, and I think that's really where the ownerships come in. Well, you're also providing a platform where these guys need to play in. So I think the days of writing checks are long, long gone. I mean, over a boozy lunch where someone says, no, you're cool, you can have that on the budget. Mm. Brands have to play in these positions and play, they must. Uh, this weekend, I've been going through the press releases. There's quite a lot going on at this thing. Just from a sponsor perspective, what are some of the attractions where, as you say, they're getting to play in this environment? What are they doing to enhance the fan sort of um, experience? So the sponsors of this weekend are Samsung, FNB, and Steers. Um 
if we start with Samsung, they've done really nicely because they're sponsoring um, Rage. They're the title sponsor of Matric Rage as right, well. Right, as you say, which is tied towards this. So we've linked we've linked both events really nicely. And so, I mean, it's just in terms of the activations that are going to be taking place there. You know, if the crowds are going to come and see what's going on there, they need to – they can't only just be there for the rugby. It's about how do we manage the experience as a whole. Um, and so between Samsung Steers and FNB, I mean, get down to Kings Park. If you're in the Durban area, there really is no better place to be. They've got some fantastic prizes. We're going to be giving away huge amounts of prizes, but also it's something for the whole family. You know, it's not just about the student audience. We're appealing to the whole Durban community. Um, the weather's looking better for this weekend now, thankfully, and ticket sales have spiked today, which we're all very relieved about. Very nice. Um, and so we're just, we're, yeah, we're very lucky to have sponsors like those three. Um, and we look forward to what we're going to be able to offer this weekend. But it's like, you know, you're saying about creating a, a new audience, younger audience, and that's exactly what you guys are going to obviously grow from strength to strength and become like almost a case study in these things because it always has to be more than sport. I know like, I love golf, but a golf club nowadays is so much more than golf. It's conference facilities. It's wedding venues. It's uh, a place you can go and, you know, get spa treatments even. You know, they really are going to that level. But it's exciting. So in order to get tickets for this weekend, where so is the easiest place to go? Tickets are available off the Varsity Sports app. Um, it's free to download on Android and iPhone, as well as the VarsitySportsSA.com website. Um, they're just 20 rand entrance fee. And it's, I mean, it's really, you will get, as I say, bang for your back. There's a whole day of experience there for you. Um, and check out the website and follow us on social media to check all of the updates. We've partnered with Harlow, which is a cashless system, which is going to make the queues a whole lot easier to navigate. Fantastic, because that is always the bugbear of all these events. Yeah. Waiting in the beer queue has got to be the biggest vibe killer in, in all the sport. Yep, and that's, I mean, that's the thing, is that, you know, the whole experience, we've streamlined the whole experience, and we think that based on based on what we've got to offer, we're really going to have introduce an event to Durban that will really see some great growth in the years to come. Cool. I mean, look, it is the start of the holiday season. I know people are still working, but if you're in Durban, this really is a fantastic thing to get involved in. And unfortunately, as you say, like a lot of sporting events aren't pulling the crowds like they used to. And I know whenever you, I always see the Dolphins, the cricket team, it always yeah. seems to be rained out. So these guys are maybe sports starved, big events especially. Michael, just lastly, some of the things we could look forward to next year, Are you obviously you're already thinking 28. Um, anything else we can look look into? So, well, we kick off next year with Varsity Cricket. That's a week. It starts on the 29th of January in Potchefstroom. It's a week, um, a week of cricket. And we've partnered with the RAG, um, the RAG week down there. So it really is an experience in itself. So we've got five days of fantastic cricket, most of which will be broadcast. And then on the 29th of January, the FNB Varsity Cup presented by Steinhoff International kicks off. We've got a fantastic campaign that we're very excited to launch, a new partnership with the South African National Blood Service. Um, and the Varsity Cup is just, it's an amazing product to work on. You know, it's grown from strength to strength every year. We've now got 16 teams involved in it. So we've got nine in the Varsity Cup and then um, seven in the Varsity Shield. We, we've also got the um, Young Guns competition as well as the Steinhoff Corsairs competition. So in total, we affect over 300 rugby teams every year. Um, and it's really doing a lot for the development of the sport. But also check out the Varsity Cup website. We've just launched the new website, and it's looking super. Um, and there's a new campaign that we'll be launching in a couple of weeks that we're excited to share with you guys. Michael, it sounds like you're a particularly busy man. I mean, 300 rugby teams getting into one part of one aspect of what you do. That's incredible. I'd love to chat to you more about Varsity Cup because I find this is, again, 
like youth sports is something that's really close to my heart because I believe that development must take place on every single level. And this is a level that's becoming like really exciting to be a part of. It's not just like, okay, well, you go from here to here. It's like you can't wait to get to here. And that's something you guys have done. And I must congratulate you on that. Thank you very much. You know, there's a lot that goes into this business to make this business run. We book just less than 7,000 air tickets a year. So you've got wow. athletes across all of our codes who are for the first time, some of them flying an aeroplane, staying in four-star Tsukhasan hotels, you know, really getting to experience the life of what an athlete would be. And I think that also plays a big role in motivating them to participate. All of our codes, you need to have achieved a minimum amount of credits in the year prior. So it's not just about sport. And we've also had to do that to prevent sort of universities from buying and selling players, etc. Yeah, exactly. So all told, um, it's it's a very wholesome product. And I think that's why we're fortunate that we've got the buy-in that we do from corporate South Africa in an environment that's actually pretty tricky to try and get sponsors to buy into your products. I totally agree. And if you're on the social media, it's uh, at Varsity Sports SA on Twitter. And you'll get all the inf- information there about this weekend in Durban. Michael, thanks so much. I'm not going to be able to be in Durban this weekend, but I look forward to attending something in the very near future. Varsity Cup in particular. Awesome, Ben. See you then. All right. That's Michael. Uh, so I told you last week I was at the Gary Play Invitational, and I got to chat to a whole bunch of people. Before we get into that, though, I caught up with Richard Asher last night, and he wants to write a book, which I believe it really is. It, it should be an absolute smash hit. He wants to replicate what, ha- what happens with all black systems. He wants to mimic how they go about being the best, and he believes that it should be happening, and there's no excuse why it isn't. So here I am chatting with Richard Asher. Right, so a few years ago, I met a guy called Richard Asher. He had a rather interesting, well, let's just say quest to become not just your average golfer, but an actual pro golfer doing something really amazing. Uh, Richard and I headed off literally on a golf course. And, uh, well, Richard, I, I, I try to follow your life ever since. And there isn't a single thing you haven't done in journalism. It seems like there hasn't been a country you haven't worked in. I mean, for many people who work in media, they kind of – get one job and they try to stick to it until they literally get told to go away you seem to be the absolute like opposite you you seem restless a little bit i, I think i got my dream job work as my first job which was being a motor racing journalist in england um but then five years is enough uh of anything i think uh, of listening to racing drivers whine about how hard their lives are <laughs> Where's the little thing? So then you go and edit golf magazines, and then you do cricket magazines, and then you end up in Austria, uh, from where I'm currently speaking to you. Okay. Now, the reason I want to chat to you this week, and uh, thanks for joining me. I know you've got quite a busy schedule because, well, I, I, I don't know how it is that you can focus on one thing, but you seem to be focusing on something about a, a book called Cloning the All Blacks. Now, no. I... For, for much of this year, I've been crapping on about the fact that the, the Bok team is kind of directionless. They don't seem to be having much of a plan. And we don't seem to be um, emulating the lessons that we learned from the All Blacks. Because, you know, the old cliche, you learn so much from defeat. But we get defeated mm-hmm. so many different times by the All Blacks that we should have learned so much by now. So you seem to think that a book of this nature is a good idea. I totally agree with you. Uh, quite a daunting task, though, because you are going to go the non-publishing route and kind of just, you know, bust a course by yourself. Absolutely. Trying to do it on Kickstarter. Um, this is a big, serious journalism project. I want to pull apart the all-black way and see what makes them so great and so wonderful and such an effective machine at winning, even when apparently they're not playing that well, as we've seen supposedly on the last two weekends. They just keep winning. Um, yeah, I want to take that to pieces, and there's a couple of people that have done books like that 
But what I want to do is take it a step further and not just go, we bow down and worship you, All Blacks. You are amazing and wonderful and we'll never, ever be as good as you. I want to say, basically, to all the coaches in the world, what these guys do is out there on television. They've been doing it for over a 100 years, for goodness sake. Can we not just maybe look at those tapes and copy them? Because you are paid to coach other countries to beat these guys. And if they are the best, then we should copy them from sweeping out the sheds and doing harkers and whatever it is they do, right up to the smallest of technicalities. So that's my general idea for the book. And um, I think that's what makes it unique. There, there are books being worked on glorifying the All Blacks. But this is about doing something practical and proactive because I don't know about you, I don't want to see the All Blacks win everything for the rest of time. Yeah, I also don't like, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. And uh, I've actually become, I've got to the point now where I've stopped admiring them because I'm just bored. But this whole thing about emulating, cloning, replicating a system, do you not think that in itself and maybe an obsession that we're starting to have is maybe the wrong idea? Because if you copy someone, you're only ever going to be second best. Do you not think that maybe there's more to just emulating them and it's more about finding a way that's going to be like like, like your best blueprint as a, as a rugby country? Well, I wouldn't say that if anyone had really managed it in the last century plus. But the All Blacks are just an amazing thing in sport. You look at even English football and cricket, and you have cycles of dominance where one team, Liverpool, West Indies, whatever, they dominate for a while, then they fade away. With the All Blacks, this has just never happened since the very first New Zealand touring side toured anywhere. They were just awesome. And I think after 100-plus years, maybe copying them is the way forward. Um, what I would say is that we could copy them in very broad terms, maybe not exactly down to every last thing, but more in terms of their general philosophies. Um, for example, if, if it is something like as simple as sweeping out the sheds, um, that's not going to be all you need. That may just be one part of the recipe, and you can still apply your own style um, to, to it. But, yes, I, I do think that you need to try and achieve – if not by exactly the same way, I think you need to win rugby matches by scoring a lot of tries now. Um, I read a lot of journalism that really upset me in recent years, which was South Africa needs to stop trying the all-black way. And now that I think about it, maybe that's what inspired this book, is, is reading media saying South Africa is not New Zealand, South Africa should not try and play the New Zealand game, South Africa should not try and beat New Zealand at their own game. And I always read these articles and thought, well, why? We've got 15 guys with two arms and two legs and a rugby ball. Yes, we can score tries. We're just going in the opposite direction to the other end of the field. It must be possible if the guys in black are doing it, we should be able to do it too. And tries are worth more points than penalties and drop goals. I think everyone in rugby has finally worked this out. And I think New Zealand, people like Scotland are starting to realise you can't defend your way to beating the All Blacks. You've got to actually try and do what they do. Um, so I think we need a bit more detail on exactly how that's done. Um, not just in terms of the general idea of let's score lots of tries, but also how do we get over the line? How do people like Wales, Scotland, Australia, South Africa, in, in, in Newlands at least this year, how do we close out those close games and stop the New Zealanders snatching it at the last minute? Because there's a whole half book worth of mental stuff to be written there, I would imagine. Well, Richard, one of the big reasons I want you to get to the, writing this book and obviously, you know, doing the journalistic thing of interviewing a whole bunch of people is I don't believe what the All Blacks do is very special at all. And I think Heineke Mayer actually proved this. Heineke Mayer proved these guys kick more than anybody else. They play a very conservative game. 
it just so happens that everyone in their team can catch and pass and run at the same time, which is a basic skill set thing. And they seem to have an understanding about where they are. So I don't think they're even that special. I just think they have this ability. They know they can beat anybody, and they just have a way, like an understanding about the game. I don't think it's anything that special. It's a basic thing. My next question was, do you really think that every nation, rugby nation, let's just call it the top five. Let's not even mess around going any further. It's like Argentina or... Uh, I know this is blue sky thinking with saying that anybody can kind of get into a position where two arms, two legs, that kind of stuff. But do you think this, the countries had the makeup to actually do what the All Blacks do? Because their system is geared towards the All Black jersey. I mean, everything is is worked towards that. I mean, look, South Africa, for example, have these different unions where everything is stifled. Everyone's got their own ego, their own plan. You know, is it even like to say that, you know, we're not New Zealand, part of me is becoming more and more inclined to that way of thinking that you're very much against in that we can't have that. So we've got to try to find our own unique thing. Like, do you really believe that other countries can clone? Well, part of doing this book is, is answering that question. And I think that's journalism in the most original sense. I think that's, I don't have all the answers. I want to fly to New Zealand, fly to London, fly to Paris and find them. And I want to find answers that I think would be interesting to the entire rugby community, which is why I'm asking for a few pennies of support for this. Um, I don't know that the answer to your question is yes or no, but I would say that would be a good third of the book. So I do believe that I would spend, yes, the New Zealand system is remarkable. We all know that. And this is also something that's been widely documented by South African media in the last 10 to 15 years. And I totally agree with it. The New Zealand system is the way to go. The question is, is the system copyable? Um, yeah. I'd like to dig deeper into that, um, especially so, I, I, crazy I, think, I think that's a much shorter version of this very long question I posed to you. Is their system, their actual structure, copyable, emulatable? <laughs> That is that is that is uh, that is probably the best question of them all. The, the mental side surely must be, the skill side surely must be. Although I, st- I still don't understand why it seems to be so difficult for professional rugby coaches and teams. But uh, the system side, South Africa is is a, probably a terrible place to start because for reasons we don't need to go into. We've just got so much more going on. I, I, I've kind of lost hope in South Africa a little bit, but. Um, I could shift my focus to at least seeing someone else beat New Zealand because I grew up with this romantic idea that they were our arch rivals and I could kind of sustain the myth for 10 or 12 years after we won the World Cup. And now it's gone away and it makes me very, very sad. So so do, do you believe that the, the England right now are on the right course in order to be the first country that could probably emulate this or at least challenge them on a sustainable level? It's looking good. Eddie, Eddie Jones, well, as, as we've known to our cost, is a very, uh, as, as Bok fans, is a very shrewd guy. Um, I admire what he's done with England. Um, I think they've only lost the one game so far under his reign to Ireland. And um, I can't wait to see that game with Twickenham next year, which is a part of my reward structure for the book, um, giving away five tickets to some of my top supporters on the Kickstarter campaign to be there in London because I think it is a natural focus for the book. I want to have the book out in time for that game because I think realistically that's something we can get excited about a year in advance. As long as Eddie Jones is still in place and England continue their trajectory, I don't think New Zealand are going to become a terrible side in 12 months, um, then that is going to be just a monumental clash at Twickenham and totally worth flying over for. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, but England also has to look at its structure. Um, all the European countries need to look at their structure. South Africa, like I said, has problems, but the countries that actually have money, like England and France, they have a lot to answer for if they're not copying the New Zealand structure, because what's their excuse? Yeah, that's a very, very good point. So within your interviews, which obviously are going to make up a huge chunk of this book, who are the main people you're looking to target in order to get down to the bottom of what's going on here with New Zealand? So I, I suspect that uh, Steve Hansen isn't going to <laughs> chat to me on or off the record, um, but I would hope I could get some recently retired uh, All Blacks people, um, maybe even some players, possibly possibly only anonymously, but that's fine. Um, I would also like to try and get some some of the people who are less in the limelight, but who know what's going on. Maybe some franchise coaches from New Zealand. Maybe some of the backroom staff who quit under a cloud a couple of years ago and maybe just want to speak out about certain things. So that's the one side of it. Uh, anyone I can get from within New Zealand, that's the tougher side. Then I also want to challenge the people outside of the New Zealand structure. Um, again, I'm not sure that I'll get a direct interview with Eddie Jones, but I will be trying because essentially my question there is going to be, okay, Eddie Jones is a bad example, but to almost any other coach, it'll be like, why, why have you not managed to match these guys? I'm a little suspicious that Eddie is actually going to match them. But with everyone else, you know, why is it so hard to copy them? And that's a question I generally, I genuinely want to have answered. You know, why can't you watch yeah. the tapes and just copy their basic skills? Uh, not necessarily every move, but some of the broad brushstrokes. So I want to ask that. And people like, I don't know, Martin Johnson, people who are just hovering around a few years out of retirement who know the game, they're still sort of active in the club scene. Uh, there's dozens of people like that that I'll be able to chat to, and I would love to hear their insights on, on all those questions. Well, in my personal opinion, from worrying about this topic for so long, too long actually, maybe even obsessing over it, I think it's got a lot to do with coaching. I think some of your best interviews could actually be school-level coaches, but I'm talking like junior school-level coaches because I think, like I said at the beginning, it comes back to this belief that you can score tries and do things on the rugby field. And I think in South Africa, it's like, well, you're not very big, son, so maybe you should put more time into cricket. Whereas I think in New Zealand, what they're told is, well, you're not very big, son, but how about you you know, learn how to pass the ball or run fast and that kind of stuff. I think that'll actually be maybe a great angle for you to start in because when you get to the established level, they're going to just tell you exactly what they're, they're, what you already know. I think with New Zealand, it's a massive formative thing. And maybe this whole book will just be a quest of simplicity. Yeah, and, and also there will be... Um, a lot of sports mental experts that I need to speak to. I think this could take up a good chunk of it. Are the the Englands and the Frances and, well, actually, better example, uh, Wales and Scotland, are they t- talking to the sports psychology experts they need to talk to that, that are, are going to get them over the line in games like we've seen the last two weekends? That, do they really believe they can beat New Zealand? Or is there just that little voice saying, you know what, these guys are going to score a try against you at the last minute and there's nothing you can do? Yeah. Um, you want to speak to the mental experts, that would be a big part of it as well. And maybe not from rugby, maybe people from, I don't know, the guy who worked with Ernie Els, the funny Belgian man that worked with Ernie Els. Has he worked in rugby? I don't know. But maybe he could bring some completely new perspectives on this uh, beating the spectre of New Zealand thing um, that would make for good reading. Yeah, you also need to find out at what age they stop manipulating the ref. That'll also be a whole different chapter. I mean, is it like something they learn in school? Is it like a take-home study, that kind of thing? <laughs> that's a great chapter yes definitely well if this works out I, you know if I get my funding I'm going to have a good uh, 10 months to work on this and I'm going to have the money to travel around so I can make this a big thick book that digs into just about everything you want 
Well, Richard, I think it's a fantastic initiative, and I really do believe that uh, you asked some good questions there, like France, you got all this money, what's going on? England, you get the same kind of thing. I mean, as, as yeah. much as, look, I, I, I still believe if, if South Africa had to pull out of Sanzar right now and go say, screw it, we're going to go play Northern Hemisphere rugby, we're going to basically join the Kings and the Cheetahs, I reckon New Zealand would be screwed. I think that'll be the end of it. That'll be the end of the dream. These guys would just become like anyone else. They would have lots of players playing in Europe, and they would battle. I know New Zealand has depth, and that's one of their big things. No angle for you, but I really do believe that everything's right for them. Take away that money, and they'll have troubles. So this book is on to fund this book. Go fund this book. Give us some details of how we can get behind this initiative. So it's on Kickstarter. I won't uh, read out the link on air, but uh, if you were to Google hard copy um, cloning the All Blacks, it would come up. Um, and I have about, at the time of speaking, I think 19 days to go. Um, it ends about a week before Christmas, and I need to raise uh, 19,000 euros is the rough amount that I've targeted. Um, it does not, it does sound like a lot of money, but as I've been uh, sort of hammering away on the last week or so, if I went around Twickenham to um, every single spectator in the stadium, for example, against Australia, um, 20 pence would pretty much cover it if everyone gave me 20p, and they would get a big fat book in return. Um, so it's not a lot. If I get the entire world rugby community behind me, then it's probably like one cent each yeah. um, to sponsor me for a whole year to investigate this. And I think everyone wants their country to beat New Zealand unless they are New Zealand. This whole topic applies to everybody. It's not just about disgruntled Bok fans. This is a global, global topic that we should all get behind. Look, I'm, I'm definitely going to punt it as I can. Uh, we'll keep up, we'll keep up with you on this whole thing. Uh, if nothing else, Richard, I think this is a series of fantastic articles that I think, um, have to be written because I know from a South African perspective, people are just angry now. It's not even, it's not even frustration anymore. It's just flat out anger. Well, yeah, I mean, as I said, I grew up with this idea that you know, we were the old rivals of the All Blacks. I think when we came back from isolation, it was still 50-50 in terms of the uh, the wins between the two countries. And we've just watched it gradually decline. And maybe this is just disgruntlement and anger, but if South Africa is not going to take them down, then I'm going to help other countries do it. Sure. We all just want to see something different. We want to see a different World Cup winner because after they got that hoodoo in 2011 sorted out, it doesn't look like they're going to lose it from here. Exactly, yeah. And, and, and someone matching them is... All jokes aside, good for the game. And then winning everything for the next 100 years is not good for the game. Exactly. Richard, where else can we find you online? Uh, Twitter, at MyGreenJacket, all one word, reference to the, what you win if you are lucky enough to triumph at Augusta in the Masters, yep. um, and reference to my previous golf quest. So that still survives, MyGreenJacket uh, on Twitter. That's really the main one online, I would say. All right, cool. Richard, thanks so much for your time, and we'll check back in with you uh, Yeah, early next year. I'll just talk about this after the All Blacks. Well, they're finishing off their tour now. They're going to keep winning. And let's uh, <laughs> break. Here we go. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot, Ben. All right, that was Richard. So he's um he's one of those guys that hasn't just done journalism. He's like just done everything and everything. So I wish him all the best with this book. And if you can fund in any way possible, go on through uh, on the blog post that goes with this uh podcast i'll have all the details for you so you can just click on and uh donate to richard and his book of yeah these all blacks like what i what i like chatting to guys about richard about is that he cuts through all that sort of crap and he just said it's boring it's boring when a team is this good and it really is so 
if it's England, if it's Australia, if it's South Africa, if it's France, whoever it may be, it would just be nice to see these teams step up and kind of, you know, beat the All Blacks consistently, someone to give them a go. Like, I know they're not at their best right now on this overseas tour. Like, they've finished the year now. So, you know, a couple of limpy wins here and there. But uh, you, you want to see more competitiveness because I still believe, in my personal opinion, this is the biggest thing in world sport is international rugby. There's nothing like a test match in rugby. And uh, as much as I watch loads of sports, that is still the one that gets the juices flowing, so to speak. I'll tell you what also gets the juices flowing. Great golf tournaments. So last week, I was at the Gary Play Invitational at the Lost City. It's such a special event. Now, there's there's times in my life where I believe I'm doing the right thing completely. And uh, moments like last weekend, very much it. Drove out to the palace, stayed there for three nights from Thursday onwards. Got to play the Lost City Golf Course in the Pro-Am there. Made some new friends, saw a whole bunch of interesting, famous sports people. And I got to interview pretty much all of them. So we don't have enough time today to get through everything. Uh, very little time indeed, actually. So I'm just going to play some of Gary's mega mixes of insight. So this is how the interview process works with Mr. Gary Player. You arrive at an event and you're given a time. And essentially, you get like a media kind of round table. If you're a TV station or you got something big going on and you got a crew with you, then yeah, sure, you can get a one-on-one with Gary. So I was part of the media round table and Gary sits down and he's always just so courteous. He's such a great guest. He's so friendly and polite. He meets everyone, shakes everyone's hand and chats to them here and there. And then, well, you kind of become a spectator in the gospel of Gary. So whatever you may ask him, he will kind of swing a bit of a script going. But I always try when I get the opportunity and I've been fortunate enough to kind of be at a table like this. I think it's the fourth time with Mr. Gary Player. And I always try to throw him a couple of left field questions in there, which does get him onto like a different sort of uh, path with his answers. But this guy is just a walking, talking machine, wealth of knowledge. He really is. And he's done so much. So while he is still lucid, while he is still able to you know, gather his thoughts, I mean, I'm not saying that in a disparaging way, but the guy's 82. Age catches up with you at some stage. It hasn't yet for Mr. Player, so he's still firing when it comes to interviews. So I've composed for you a little mega mix of various insights that Gary did share with us on on the day of interview. Uh, I did ask him what his what his thoughts uh, thoughts around Tiger, uh, which aren't included in this little mega mix here. Uh, and he just seemed a little bit despondent for the first time around Tiger. I think he understands what goes into making a champion more than anybody else. And to know what Tiger's gone through, I know this is the week where Tiger makes his big comeback at the Hero World Championship thingy. And it's more of like a celebrity event than an actual tour event when you really break it down. I mean, there's no cut. There's 18 players. They're in the Bahamas. It's in the off-season. It is the perfect place for Tiger to get back on the horse, so to speak. But I think, you know, Gary, with a lot of other people who understand golf, I've come to terms with the fact that Tiger's horse is kind of bolted. And whatever we see from here is an absolute bonus. Look, I'm excited about Tiger being back in the game. Of course I am. Uh, I'll be watching tonight when he teases up again. Sure. Anybody who has any understanding about golf or any interest in golf will always want Tiger to come back and eventually be part of the game again. But it's just never going to be as we hope, which we've spoken about many, many times. Anyway, here are a selection of the best insights from Gary from this last weekend. Well, I am getting older at 82. Uh, there's no question about it. Yeah, but No, I still average uh, like I played nine holes this morning and I was even par. But, no, it, it, you know, when you were poor as a kid and you suffered as a kid, now a lot of people obviously have different degrees of suffering. I think you appreciate the opportunity. You, op- you appreciate the fact that you can change people's lives. I mean... 
it is a it is such a thrill to change the lives of people because I know when I was coming along as a kid, people helped me. Even though it might have only been giving me you know, I remember a man at Kalani Golf Club. I was sleeping in the club. I worked at the club. And once a week, he'd wake me up at 10.30 at night. He'd say, listen, I've got the guys here. And I go into the, the, the snooker room. And I walked around the snooker table on my hands. And all these 10 people put in one pound each. One pound was like a million pounds for me. It was a third of my salary. And I'd get up, walk around, the, go back to bed. And he'd do that almost once a week. So... We all need help. We all need help in life. It doesn't matter who you are. Everybody in the world's got problems. And that's why I like this idea of the Rainbow Coalition to work together. And, and I loved what Chris Harney said. Oh, I love that. He said, uh, we must have the politicians forget about their personal egos and build a strong country where we all work together and love each other irrespective of religion or color and we need to breed a nation of new South Africans and build this true rainbow coalition that's the closest I can say which was a fantastic that's what our great father Madiba wanted and this is my great dream to see this happen in South Africa as well obviously and the big thing is you've got to have the. you see the swing is not the thing I mean I used to play with a golfer in America. He made me look like a, a beginner, and yet when I beat him. You've got to have it here. This is something, there have only been about 14 superstars that ever lived in the history of the game. Now, what is the difference between that superstar and a star and a very good player? One thing, right here, right here. And what is it called? It's called it. And what is it? You can't define it. You can't define it. I mean, if you took 10 Jack Nicholases and put them up and teed in a tournament, one of them are going to win. One of them are going to win. Because he has that it, that little thing called it. I can't explain it. I often try and explain it. I can't. I can't. It's just a special... For me, for me it was a divine gift. And I mean that. I'm not trying to be humble. For me it was a divine gift. A little guy like me traveling over there, 40 hours there, being away from my family. Man, living in one and a half motels a week of 65 years. Think about that. You know, that's a... And then to win all those majors, I mean, 18 majors in your life and 165 tournaments. I'm not that good. It was a divine gift. It was it. An ordinary player, an ordinary player and make and be a multimillionaire. In our times, I remember that Arnold Palmer was the first man to win $100,000 in a year. My first tournament, I won $2,800. At Benoni here, I won 100 pounds. So now they, and now what's happening, it's so hard to get these top American players to go anywhere without paying them 500 or more $100,000 for a tournament. And so what worries me now, the managers are asking for so much money, and how is this going to hurt the game? I mean, uh, I, 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 there's one player playing in Australia now, I think he's getting almost as much as the first prize I, I can't mention he, uh, I didn't mention I didn't mention his name yeah I didn't mention but this is happening frequently I mean it's very tough to get these top players Arnold Palmer Jack Nicholas, and I used to go around the world for twenty thousand dollars around the world because we wanted to promote golf I used to come back to play our tour in South Africa every year at least four to five tournaments 
and um, gee, I remember like yesterday. I mean, uh, I got Sol Kersner and a lot of people to come to my house at Honeydew and say, "Listen, we were playing for fifty thousand rand a week. Help us, Sol, get the tournament to a hundred thousand." The player said, "You'll never do it." He did it, and then we went and uh, that was terrible in those days. You know, we had the apartheid system. And I was president of the PGA, and I said to the guys, you've got to put two blacks on the committee today. If you don't vote two guys on, I'm, re I'm resigning. They didn't, I resigned. And then I got businessmen to put up, and myself, personally, put up 100,000 rand, three of the tournaments for them to play in. Now, isn't that terrible to think that that's the way we used to live? You know, it's hard to believe, but those are facts. So my dream now is to see if we can get... I mean, I went to the, the World of Golf the other day at the Gary Player Academy, I want to tell you something. I'm sorry I've got to talk about black and white, but there were 18 plus minus young golfers. These guys were brilliant. Now, do they have the hunger? The question that you ask, do they have the hunger? Are they prepared to be away from their family? Are they prepared to be a lonely life? It's a terribly lonely life. I lived in one and a half motels every week of my life for 65 years. I've been representing South Africa for 65 years and living in a hotel, one and a half hotels a week. That's a dog's life. That's a very big... Uh, who make that, that sacrifice? I can't answer. But it's a big, big sacrifice, I can tell you. Particularly when we played. It took me 40 hours to get to America. These guys fly non-stop now. Non-stop, they play for millions and they complain. You know, it's so far. Oh, no, we don't want to come to South Africa. It's too far. Okay. Now, listen to this. I lost the PJ in America in 1969. And they were demonstrating against South Africa and free tickets. And I lost the tournament by one shot. They threw ice in my eyes, telephone books in my back. They charged me on the green. As I was getting ready to putt, they threw balls between my leg, threw ice in my eyes, everything like that. So I could only say, you know, folks, you're right. We have a terrible system. What more could I do? And I, you know, I just handle it with, I think I handle it with dignity, never criticize anybody. Um, I think I said it was just part of the punishment I had to be for being a South African at that time. You, you look at Graham Pollock. Graham Pollock, through that terrible system of apartheid, you know, can you imagine us trying to tell our children or grandchildren about any parts of the world? I mean, you look at, you look at Germany, you look at Russia, look at China, how many people they killed. Man, you talk about tens of millions, you know, tens of millions. You look at the system of the world, the world has been really barbaric, not just South Africa, the world. It's been a barbaric world. And are we getting any better? I don't know. It's a very interesting thought, that, isn't it? It is indeed, and it's the very interesting Mr. Gary Player. So in the next couple of weeks, or maybe just, I'll just put it straight onto the blog. I've got some other really great interviews to share with you. I chatted to Robbie Fowler about Liverpool. I chatted to Michael Booth and Mark Fish about the, well, the ups and downs and downs of Bafana Bafana and why they're not making more World Cups. And I was chatting to Darren Clark about the, the Ryder Cup. It was such an amazing weekend. It really was. And, uh, if you saw on the YouTube channel this week, I also have a very long chat to Maps Mapunyani. Talk about how to create better online content. So between now and the end of the year, you're going to get so much out of me. So much. I'm going to get so much out of myself. <laughs> going to need to. Anyway, that's all the time we got for this week's show. Uh, it's December as of tomorrow. Hooray. But big weekend of sport to look out for. 
The box will be taking on Wales. That'll be on Saturday. Alistair Garcia will name his team Thursday around 5 o'clock South African time, hopefully with a few changes, hopefully with some fresh talent coming in, because why not? Saturday, football-wise, Telcom Knockout Cup. That's the big one happening in South Africa itself. So that's Bidvis-Fitz versus the Bloemfontein Celtics. That'll be 6 o'clock Saturday. Uh, Premier League-wise, well, the big match will be Arsenal hosting Man United. Arsenal suddenly hit a bit of form. They've, uh, I think scored, what, nine goals in the last two games in the league. That's pretty amazing. Man United have been, well, they've been holding on. I think it's a fair, fair assumption. 7.30 Saturday night, that'll be Arsenal hosting Man United. Man City, who just keep on winning. They had a very, very close shave last night against Southampton. They're playing on Sunday. That'll be at six o'clock on Sunday night. They're hosting West Ham, who just took an absolute thrashing against Everton. Yeah, didn't see that one coming. Cricket-wise, it is the day-night test. The first ever day-night test in an Ashes series. So that has been played in Adelaide, Adelaide after the first game was in Brisbane. Now, the Adelaide Oval is basically the day-night mecca of the world of cricket right now in test matches. So England, if they didn't win the first one, I don't think they're going to win the second one. It's just as simple as that. Uh, so, yeah, look out for that. And the great thing about the day-night test for a South African audience is that it takes place later, so you get to have to wake up stupidly early to watch the full day of play. Otherwise, that's pretty much it for the sport. Of course, Tiger Woods teased it up again tonight at the Hero World Championship Challenge Tournament, whatever it's called. Sorry, I forget the name. So I know from a South African perspective, 7.15 around there, Tiger tees off, and then, well, the coverage will start more like around 9 o'clock. Thanks, big t- thanks a lot to my guests. Sorry, it's Thursday. You know, I, I battle talking Thursdays, which isn't very good. Big shout out to my guests today. Uh, you can catch the podcast if you are listening live. You can catch all the guests. Otherwise, keep it on the bounce.co.za or right here at cliffcentral.com during the week. You can hear my daily sports podcast on the Gareth Cliff Show around just after uh, 6.30 every single morning in South Africa. Right. That is it for today. I'm out of here. This is cliffcentral.com.